ahead and uh, if you guys could stand with me real quick. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 20. So I'll wait for you guys to get there. I guess we can do the whole thing where if you got it, you say so. Well, that's enough so's. <laughs> In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <clears throat> Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what he had been told, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Lord, for this time where you get to declare your word to us. Lord, open our ears. Open our minds. Allow us to put our understanding behind us so that we can understand your will. Father, thank you for sending your son to us, the prince of peace, and demonstrating what true peace actually is. Father, I thank you for all these things. And I pray these things in your son's great name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, if you guys have been... Uh, actually, let me go ahead. Uh, does anyone not have the Advent booklets? If you can, the, the ushers will be passing those around. Um, if you guys have been following around in your Advent booklets, today is day eight. Yesterday, of course, was day seven. So by now, what you guys have seen, if you've been reading a chapter in Luke every day, you've seen Jesus be born. You've seen these interactions with John the Baptist. And at this point, you've seen Jesus do quite a good bit of miracles. 
And yesterday, if you guys were reading chapter 7, the very end of chapter 7, a woman comes to wash Jesus' feet. And Jesus was having dinner with the Pharisees. They invited him out. And the Pharisees said, if this man was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. So Jesus, like the great, amazing father that he is, says, all right, well, two men, they owe a large debt. One's just a bit smaller than the other. And the debtor says, the bank pretty much says, I forgive your debt. Right? One person owed $40,000 on a car, let's say. The other one had a mansion, a million-dollar mansion. And the debtor says, the bank says, I forgive your debt. So Jesus asked them and says, all right, which one do you think was most, most grateful? Of course, the Pharisees are like, the one who had the largest debt. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, you're forgiven. That's crazy. Are you telling me this woman recognized who Jesus was. She didn't wash Jesus' feet to make Jesus feel better. She recognized who Jesus was. And she wanted to worship him. And that's what she was doing. Jesus realizing this, recognizing this, forgives her. So, today is peace. And we've been going off the theme of, do you get it? And uh, peace is something that humanity longs for, but on their own can never attain. We confuse peace with comfort, money, social status, and family, just to name a few. We fail to realize that peace is already among us because of God's grace. But even once we recognize that he is indeed the Prince of Peace, we still don't understand the depth of what peace is. Peace is an attitude of worship displayed through the actions of an individual whose security lies in Jesus. This provides true, unconditional rest and tranquility despite dire circumstances and hostile situations. Because there is an awareness that God has, is, and will always fulfill his word. Church, everybody is looking for peace. And I'm going to be honest. Uh, my wife went shopping with Minister Elaine yesterday, and she calls me. She calls me, and she's like, so I'm looking at a purse. And I'm like, oh, man. Please tell me you're at Ross. (laughs) She goes, no, no, I'm at Kate Spade. They're having a sale. I'm like, they could put 60, 70% off, but you know it's never a sale. (laughs) I can tell you in that moment, I was just a little bit uneasy about what was going on. You know, so the first thing I do, I get up. I was in my office chair. I get up. I go to to the room, and she has all her purses on the back of the the door in in the bedroom. So I go ahead. I, I look at the door. I'm looking at it. I start counting. I'm like, girl, you have 12 purses. What do you need another one for? She goes, oh, but I need a new daily driver. And I'm like, 
And she's like, it's just like you and your cars, right? You have your daily driver, the one you take to the track. This is just a cheaper way of doing it. This is my daily driver. This is the one I take when I want to, you know, go shopping and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, man. But in that moment, I had just a little bit of uneasiness. And some would even say, ah, I lost my peace. (laughs) I I was so good. She was, she was, you know, she was out there, she was shopping, she was having a good time. I'm here, I'm doing my thing, I'm having a good time, and one little thing makes me lose my peace. But how often does it happen in our lives? Well, we're doing good. I'm having a good week at work. The past couple of months, I've just been, I've been getting these things done. My boss likes me, and then you mess up, and you lose your peace. But did you really lose your peace? Or did you lose your own concept of what peace is. As valuable as peace is, we shouldn't be surprised that it is often counterfeited. The enemy uses empty promises of peace to manipulate God's children. Deceitful men speak words of peace while secretly planning evil. You can find that in Obadiah. In Jeremiah's day, the religious leaders dealt only with the symptoms of the national problems. They did not address the sinful root of their crises. These false prophets declared everything was well between God and Israel when there was actually no real peace. How often do we believe we are walking in peace when in reality we're just averting our minds away from our own misconceptions? So this is my... Big idea for you guys today, and there's one thing I really, really want to be taken away from this today. It is this. True peace is only realized when Jesus is recognized and his word is understood. My first point today is peace is not political, moral, or individual assurance. Peace does not belong in any of these outward expressions. So we are reading from Luke chapter 2, and in verse 1 we see this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, initially, you guys take that as like, all right, Caesar Augustus said this, some ruler said this, and that's how this is going, that's how this is going to go down. Everyone's going to go get registered. But do you guys actually know who Caesar Augustus is? He's an extremely important figure. His name was Octavian. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar recognized Octavian for his talents and his brilliance and decided to adopt him as his son. Julius Caesar gets murdered. All right, this is all before Christ. Julius Caesar gets murdered. And Octavian and two others, Mark Anthony, not the salsa singer, (laughs) and Lepidus, they split Rome three ways. Rome at this time is a republic, right? Basically, everything is governed by laws. There's no one supreme ruler. So Julius Caesar is kind of like you can see him as like a president of sorts. So he gets murdered, and then Rome gets split three ways by Octavian, Mark Anthony, and Lepidus. At this time, and even during Julius Caesar's time, the, Medi- the Mediterranean world was filled with war. 
If you guys look at what's happening in the Middle East now, all those wars, it was worse back then. Bloodshed for decades over differences in religion and thought. It was such a horrible time to live in. No one had peace. And then Rome gets split three ways. And now these three guys, they start fighting. This increases things. After 20 years of civil war in Rome, it was in such a rough state. Land was destroyed, livestock taken, towns besieged, stolen wealth. Criminal activity was on the rise because now the government was no longer policing. The Mediterranean world was in a horrible state. And Octavian eventually won. He got with Cleopatra, who was from Egypt. And with his brilliance, his strategy, and with Cleopatra's money, <laughs> he beat the other two. And the first thing he did was take all this wealth and redistribute it across the entire Mediterranean world. Peace was restored. Hundreds of years of war, blood, and criminal activity ending with one man. After this, Octavian declares himself Caesar Augustus. Augustus, prior to Octavian, was a word that was reserved only for holy objects and places. Once it was placed on Octavian, it clothed him in a halo of sanctity as he became the supreme source of holiness and worker of the gods, marking him as the first emperor of Rome. Using his political and administrative skill, he brought together an entire world and governed all of these nations and united them politically. There has never been such peace in the Mediterranean world at this time. And one man brought them all together. Jesus was born during Caesar Augustus. He wasn't born during this time of war, during this time of just really bloodthirsty, trying to just take over everything and get dominion over these different regions. He was born after Caesar Augustus was already in power for about 20 years. And there was peace. Of course, men is still looking for inner peace. Just because there's political peace doesn't mean everyone was still happy with what was going on in their own lives. There's still things that happen deep, deep down on a personal level. So, in verse 2, it's mentioned that Caesar Augustus decides to take a census. And I want to point out one thing here because a lot of people like to look, overlook this, but Luke mentions Quirinius and Syria. And this is just a quick note to touch on. Luke doing this sort of states his validity, his validity and how certifiable his statements are. The only way you would know this is if you had an eyewitness account. So by Luke writing this, he's already stating that, all right, this happened when I said it happened. 
based off what I've been doing. And this is what's really important. That, let, that right there lets you know you can trust the rest of what's about to be said. So he does this census, and the world responds. One man's will. Caesar Augustus says, I want to take a census of everybody so I can effectively tax the people. That's it. He's sitting on his throne in his ivory palace, and he says, I want to take a census. And the entire world does it. But this is power, not peace. He was a good ruler, and he did a lot for his people and expanded their territory. He really wasn't that powerful, though. Jesus told Pilate that he had no power at all unless it had been given to him from above. So, a lot of people ask, you know, there's a lot of prophecies that go on in the Old Testament that point towards Jesus. How did God orchestrate it so that Joseph and Mary would be in Bethlehem? Easy. Use the man who brought political peace. It's almost ironic. In the end, Augustus, who was an almighty, brilliant ruler, whose thoughts are still seen throughout our governments today, the one that had a lasting legacy out of all of this is Jesus. None of you knew about Caesar Augustus, unless you took a Rome history class. But other than that, you probably didn't know who Caesar Augustus was. And if you look at the structure of our governments today, not just the United States, but other governments, the thoughts of Caesar Augustus are in the way nations govern themselves. He started a lot of this. Yet, the one we remember is Jesus throughout all of this. And the reason why is because though Caesar Augustus brought political peace to the Mediterranean world, the one who brought true peace was Jesus. So none of us really remember the powerful figures. We remember the one who brought true peace. My second point, Jesus' birth was peace, but it was among hostility and discomfort. So, at the time that, you know, all this is happening, Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and then we have Joseph, they're in Nazareth, and a lot of gossip is going around, right? Because Joseph and Mary, they're not married yet, but somehow Mary's pregnant, and Joseph is like, wasn't me. <laughs> right? <laughs> So what do you think is going on? You're in the town of Nazareth. You grew up there. All your friends are there. They're like, mm, I don't know about this girl. Something's going on. Something's really going on. And you, imagine being in the midst of all that. I mean, an angel comes to you and says, you're going to give birth to the Christ. Man, you gotta, you're going to be all happy about that. Mary was ecstatic. And then the next day, everyone was like, mm, I don't know. She said she got Christ, but she shouldn't be pregnant right now. I mean, imagine the confusion going on in Mary's head. So Joseph uses this census sort of as an excuse to like, all right, well, I'm going to take her with me. Because in reality, Mary did not need to go to Bethlehem for the census. 
because they weren't married yet. So technically, she should have stayed in Nazareth. But Joseph takes this opportunity for him to go to his town, and he takes Mary with her to get away from all of this scandalous events. But the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was not easy. It's the equivalent of driving from Miami, Florida, all the way to Seattle, Washington, which is literally across the nation, nonstop, then hopping on a plane to Beijing, China from there. Then once you get to China, you're going to drive from Beijing, China, all the way to Bethlehem. All that with a pregnant fiance. It wasn't cheap either. Them doing that was not cheap. I mean, imagine traveling all that, spending all that money to get from Miami all the way to Bethlehem that way. That's not an easy journey. And we're talking about peace here. She's holding the Prince of Peace, and she's being gossiped about, and now she's got to go on this seven-day journey. You tell me if Mary's at peace. Mm, I, I wouldn't be at peace. I don't know what it's like to be pregnant, but <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be at peace if I had to go through all that. So they get there. They can't find a place to stay. And they go to this inn and they find a place in the stalls for the animals and a manger. And Luke just says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Such a simple way of saying it. I've never, ever heard someone tell me, uh, you know, a woman tell me like, yeah, yeah, I just gave birth. It's always like, no, I was in labor for like 12 hours. I was, it was, it's always a, just this big like story. And it is, it's a big deal. And it's not, you know, I don't know, but it's not easy. And for Luke to be like, I mean, this is how you know Luke's a guy. Yeah, she gave birth. <laughs> it was so easy. Yeah. Mary just gave birth to her firstborn son. You know, he's not, the, you know, he's not the prince of peace. He's not our, you know, he's not our savior. No, 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 he just gave birth to her firstborn son. This birth was a lonely birth. I mean, just imagine where Mary's at. There are no friends. And if she did have friends, they were gossiping about her. She just came off this ridiculous, expensive, long journey to get to an inn that's filled for the owner to say, no, you can go to that, that little cave over there where I keep my animals. Yeah, you can go there. Man, that is just so harsh. So harsh. I would not be at peace. I lost my peace over a purse. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's just not going to happen for me. And on top of that, Mary's giving birth in a public place. There were other travelers there. There were men walking around, little children playing, and women gossiping by the well. And lo, the kingdom of heaven was among them. No one recognized what was happening. Nobody. The town was just doing what it normally does. And there was just this weird couple from Nazareth giving birth to a baby in an animal stall. And we talk about swaddling clothes, right? Because Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes. When you go back to the Greek, it actually talks about torn cloths, which means she got ripped up rags 
either from her own clothing that she ripped or had to scrounge around for to wrap Jesus up in. That's a lot of work. It ain't easy. So it just goes even further. She's been through all of this, just gave birth, and now she's getting ripped cloth to wrap Jesus around? The Prince of Peace being wrapped in torn cloth and laid in a food tray for animals that I guarantee you has not been clean because I never cleaned the goat's food trays on my grandpa's farm. <laughs> and I don't think anyone before me ever did either. <laughs> that was a horrible place to lay a child. That's our savior. That's our prince of peace. Everyone missed it. Everybody did. So, he's born, he's lying in a manger, and what we see in verses 8 through 14 are these shepherds. So, Bethlehem shepherds, they were actually known to care for the temple flock and protected the lambs used in temple sacrifices. So, I think that's kind of cool. That's just like one of those things where like, you know, the more you know. Um, <clears throat> but... An angel comes to them out of nowhere. And just imagine this. You're, it's a nice, it's a Saturday night, it's a cool evening. You're sitting outside in your porch or your balcony, however you want to look at it. You're sipping your tea, your coffee, whatever it is that, you know, you know makes you feel happy and warm inside. And you're just chilling there. And then all of a sudden the sky just lights up. And an angel comes out of nowhere. And just starts preaching to you. I would be terrified. I mean, I get scared when I'm just focused on something and someone comes up behind me and goes, ha. <laughs> like, I, I jump. And all of a sudden, you know, if I have a pocket knife sometimes. And I just, you know, I get, my hand gets on it. I don't know who you are. That's it. It's going to end right here. <laughs> I mean, this is like leagues, leagues more terrifying. An angel comes out and pretty much in layman's turn, it's like, yo, 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 chill, chill, chill. I'm going to start preaching to you right now. And this gospel is for all your people. Right? And he starts preaching the gospel. The angel starts preaching the gospel. And then after he finishes, a whole bunch of other angels show up. It's like, oh, just let's, let's make this party bigger, right? I'm not already scared of weeded out. Let's just add more. And these angels that came up, the heavenly host, these weren't just regular angels wrapped in like these really cool, you know, Star Wars looking white cloth things. No, no, they were soldiers. So someone starts preaching to you and then an army shows up. And all I've done my whole life is feed, you know, lamb and move them around and eventually, you know, take them to the temple so that they can get sacrificed. That's, that's my livelihood. I have no idea what's going on here. And a bunch of soldiers show up. This is such a weird, rapid, glorious event. And in comparison, Jesus was born in a manger. All this glory, the gospels preached from an angel. These soldiers show up and start singing. And Jesus is sitting in our dirty food tray. 
That's our Prince of Peace. So they proclaim the good news, and these shepherds are like, oh, we got to go. Because you saw what I saw, right? You saw what I saw? Yeah, we all saw the same thing. We got to check this out to see if it's legit. And they go so quickly to Bethlehem. And there they find Jesus in a manger. And it's not like they had to look far because how many babies do you see wrapped in rags sitting in a food tray? I mean, that's a sight to behold. Nowadays, if you guys saw that, you'd be like, oh, man, I feel so bad for those people. And maybe I'll help them. But these shepherds were excited, man. They went up. A sight, it was so unbelievable. They're there. And I'm sure Mary is confused, right? Mary just gave birth, went through this journey. She's having such a hard time. There is nothing, nothing of peace in her. She's probably so confused. And then these shepherds, the lowest class of citizens, comes and is like, our Lord, our Savior. I would be so confused. I mean, if this was the Prince of Peace, in my mind, I would be expecting some extremely high, important government official to come recognize my son. That's not what happened. Shepherds did that. And <laughs> my dad told me once, he's like, the reason why he picked shepherds was because they know everybody. That's like the janitor at your job. They know all the stuff that goes on there. <laughs> you ever wonder if your boss is actually working? Ask your janitor. He knows. <laughs> these shepherds knew everybody right so they see this and what's the first thing they do when they see peace god's word fulfilled they go out proclaim now this happens to all of us i remember one time and you guys aren't going to believe me but my dog did a backflip <laughs> all of you laugh because you know it's not true but it's true. I'm, I'm telling you. My dog did a backflip. It was crazy. It was a sight I just couldn't believe. And I went and I told, I told my wife, it's like, yo, Ulrich, that's the, name of, that's the name of my dog. Ulrich just did a backflip. She goes, make him do it again. I was like, I can't make him do it again. I don't even know how he did it. I couldn't repeat the event. <laughs> she had to believe me. Because that's the only way you could ever think that that actually happened. I didn't catch it on video. I didn't get a picture. My dog did a backflip, I promise. <laughs> Imagine the shepherds going out doing the same thing. They go to their friends and like, yo, I was, I was doing my job, and the light, the sky lit up. A bunch of angels showed up. They told me the Lord was here. I went, and the Lord was there sitting in a dirty food tray. And the Bible says that the people were amazed. They marveled, and they believed it. That's amazing. Now, we'll get into this, because I'm going to be jumping into Luke uh, chapter 24. But there's a difference between too good to be true, believing, and an actual thought, an actual conceptual understanding and the recognition of who Jesus is. So, 
peace, this is my third point, <clears throat> is unrecognizable unless you recognize Jesus. Now let's fast forward, right? So this, all this craziness just happened. My dog did a backflip. Everyone believes it. <laughs> and Jesus does all these amazing things while he's here on earth. And then he's crucified. He's here preaching peace, letting people know who God is, preaching his will, and then he's crucified. His disciples were with him, walking with him, fellowshipping him, fellowshipping with him. I mean, imagine all of this. And then he's crucified. His disciples were terrified. So if we fast forward to Luke 24, I'm going to be paraphrasing it because I'm, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But what we see here in Luke 24 is a couple of things. The first thing we see is that Mary Magdalene and uh, Mary, the mother of James, and some other woman went to go finish Jesus' burial. So to keep playing on the I irony, Jesus didn't have a proper birth, nor did he have a proper burial. It was rushed. It wasn't done right. So these ladies go to finish up the burial process, put the spices, make sure everything is done correctly according to tradition. They get there, and he's gone. Stones rolled away. No guards are there. They look inside. It looks like literally someone just passed through the cloths because they're just sitting there. And they're so confused. And then two men show up, angels, and they're like, what are you confused about? You guys should already know about this. He told you this already. What's so confusing? That, that boggles my mind. How, how is it that Jesus can tell you exactly what's going to happen, exactly why things need to happen, and then they happen, and you're confused? Oh, that happens to me at work all the time. You know what it's like to tell an engineer, hey, I need you to do this for this reason because it needs to happen this way because that's what the contract asked for. And then a month goes by, they come back like, hey, I didn't do it the way you asked because I thought this was a better way and um, this was probably more efficient and I got it done. And I look at it, I'm like, this is not what anybody asked for. Like, did you not understand me? I wrote it down in an email, I told it to you, and I gave you the documents that you needed to follow step by step. There was like no, there was no extra step. Like it wasn't go from step one to step five. It was one, two, three, four, five. Like, how did that, how did that happen? Where, where was the miscommunication here? I'm pretty sure I used every source of media that I could to get this to you. And yet, the point still didn't get across. I mean, imagine that. Like, these angels had to be like, they, these angels know what's going on. And they're like, how do you not notice? So, they figure it out, right? These women figure it out. And then they go, they tell the disciples, and they're like, hey, he's risen. And the disciples are like, no, 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 he's not risen. In such doubt, Peter runs over there, and then Luke, it says, Peter runs over there, opens up the tomb, not opens up the tomb, sorry, goes into the tomb, and is just marveled. 
but he still has a sense of doubt. He's like, I don't understand what's going on here. All right? And this is my favorite part. This is how you know Jesus is a troll. <laughs> two of the disciples, not, not, the, not namely the 11, but two of the disciples are walking to, um, I actually don't know how to say it. I believe it's Emmaus. Emmaus? Emmaus. Thank you. Um, they're walking to Emmaus. And this, I mean, people have discussions whether or not it's a three-and-a-half-mile journey or a seven-mile journey. But either way, you want to look at it. I'm going to just stick with the seven-mile journey because it's just longer, and it'll drive my point better home. <laughs> so they're walking to Emmaus, seven-mile journey from where they are in Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're walking. They're talking about what's going on, like, oh, you know, pretty much like they're talking about Jesus being crucified. You know, I thought he was the one. And then Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him, but Jesus shows up, and he's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, you don't know? No, no, what are these things that are, you guys are talking about that makes you so sad? And they start to explain what's been going on, and then Jesus is like, well, he calls them slow-hearted, right? But this, like I said, this is how you know he's a troll. He's pretty much, no, you guys are being dumb right now. <laughs> That's what slow-hearted means. You guys, you guys are so slow. And he begins to explain to them from Moses all the way to the prophets why these things needed to happen on this seven-mile journey. They get to Emmaus, and Jesus is like, all right, this journey's done. Sorry, that's it. And they're like, no, 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 don't go. We want to hear more. Let's get some food. They still don't even know they're talking to Jesus. They haven't even recognized who they're talking to. This dude they missed, the dude who they're like, I can't believe, I thought he was a savior, he's right there with them, and they don't even recognize. And he just explained to them why these things needed to happen. And they believed it. And they understood it. Then he, they eat. It says he broke bread. And they recognized who he was. And then Jesus disappeared. Such a troll move. <laughs> Such a troll. Like only Jesus would do that. Jesus was like, oh, you got it? Peace. Oh, man, I would do the same thing. Like, oh, you got it? All right, you're on your own now. All right, go, go, go. So these guys just did this seven-mile journey. They ate. They're full of food. And what's the first thing they do? They get excited, and they run seven miles back to go tell the disciples. And the disciples are like, what, really? You know, they're starting to sort of believe it because this is the second eyewitness account of Jesus being back. And then Jesus shows up again. And he, they're looking at him, and he's like, you know, feel my hands. Let's eat, all this stuff. And yet what it says in Luke is that they marveled but they did not believe because of their joy. That, like, that almost is like two conflicting thoughts. Like they're so happy Jesus is here, yet they don't recognize who Jesus is. That's just, it blows my mind. But in that case, what's happening is they're realizing Jesus is with them, but they're so focused on the fact that Jesus is with them. They're not recognizing what has just happened. He's conquered death. So, Jesus is with them, and it says at the very end of Luke, <clears throat> he reminds them of who he is, the Prince of Peace, and it says that he opened their minds, opened their understanding. And a lot of people like to take this as Jesus physically like went in their minds and like opened it. But in reality, imagine the times that you guys have been talking with people about a topic that just you struggle with. You struggle with, you struggle with, you struggle with that topic, and then one day it clicks, 
oh, I got it. And you go back to that person, you say, thank you so much for opening my mind about this and for being patient with me about this. It was you humbling yourself, putting your understanding behind you and allowing Jesus to do his work. This wasn't a forceful mind opening. This was disciples recognizing who Jesus was and understanding that he is indeed the Prince of Peace. So he makes them understand that the cross was necessary, that all of this was necessary. And he then commissions them to preach the gospel. Now, why does all this come back to peace? If we recognize that Jesus is indeed the Prince of Peace, the reason why all of these people's minds were open, why the shepherd's mind were open, why the disciples' minds were open, it's because they realize that God indeed does fulfill his word and his promises. That's what allows us to walk in peace. It's not my wife getting a good deal on a purse. It's the fact that I understand that God will always continually fulfill his word. Despite what's going on in my life, despite what's going on in the government, despite what I disagree with, despite all of that, God will fulfill his word and I can walk in peace. So my question to you guys, are you operating in a false sense of peace? Do you have misconceptions about what peace is? Do you put your peace in what it is that you can do? Or do you put your peace on the fulfillment of God's word? And if so, will you allow the Prince of Peace to open your understanding so that you might comprehend his will and be obedient to it? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done. Thank you, God, for allowing your son to come and humble himself and put on flesh so that peace can be among us and you and among men. Father, help us recognize that you are indeed the Prince of Peace and the true source of peace. It's not our moral compass. It's not how well we can do in our careers. It's not whether or not we're financially stable. Father, it's how you continually fulfill your word in our lives and in your church. Father, thank you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.